This is the Sunday Messages podcast from Cedar Valley Unitarian Universalists in Cedar Falls, Iowa, and I'm your host, Kat Bean Hansen. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Today's message comes from our service on Sunday, October 22nd, 2023. Pastor Emma Peterson gives the message, Worshiping the Old Gods, Slavic Paganism and Oral History. A few weeks ago, as most of you know, I attended a silent retreat in the mountains of Tennessee. The retreat was held at an active monastery where 15 or so cloistered nuns devoted their lives to praying the hours, sanctifying each day. We were invited to join the nuns in the sanctuary while they sang their prayers. Separated by a man-made river of holy water, we, the laity, quietly observed these devoted women as they did their holy work. When the bell would ring for prayers, I was already seated in the sanctuary, not wanting to miss a moment of their sacred display. Suddenly, a great swishing sound, like a strong wind through leafy trees, would fill the back entrance of the room. The sound was the swishing of the great black skirts and capes worn by the sisters, a stiff and layered uniform further exemplifying their commitment to their vows. I often found myself tugging uncomfortably at my jean shirt and pants, feeling like an overly worldly harlot in their presence. I don't think they noticed me at all, though. So complete was their reverie. In nearly every prayer session, the sisters sang the Gloria Patri. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, it is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, amen, amen. This sung prayer is familiar to me in a bone-deep way as a cradle Methodist. But it was in the sanctuary, in the heavenly voices of the sisters, that the impact of the words struck me. As it was in the beginning, the sisters sing, as if it had always been this way, that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ marked the beginning of humanity, and that the story itself is the only eternal story ever told. I felt deeply moved by the nuns and their devotion. There is this one woman in particular And these nuns, it was so interesting. There were only about 15 of them, and they seemed to be either 80 or 19. And there was this large disparity. I was talking to some of my friends about this, and they said, what happened to all the middle-aged nuns? I wondered if maybe it had something to do with Vatican II, 
that there had been this large, like decades of time when the Catholic Church was going through these changes. Anyway, there was this one sister in particular, and they wore different, um, they had different uniforms to signify um, where they were in the process of their vows, because nuns have opportunities over and over to accept their vows before they become, it's not full sisters, but before they're fully, you know, really locked in for life. And so the the ones that are early in their vows, they wear these kind of jumpers, black jumpers with a high neck, long sleeve shirt underneath. And there was this one young woman, she was probably 20, if that, and she would come into the sanctuary. And when the nuns would come into the sanctuary, they would get on their knees and they would pray silently. And this young woman would gaze up at this cross, which of course has the crucified Christ nailed right on there because the Catholics will not take Jesus off the cross, poor guy. And she would just gaze up at the face of Jesus like she were looking at her lover and her beloved. And and she was, right? Because nuns are the brides of Christ. And I would just watch this woman and I would think, I don't know if I have ever been in love like that. What What an incredible thing to feel and to know in this certainty in your heart. Anyway, so I, I have been enamored by nuns for a long time, but I've been thinking about some different things lately and something about the Gloria Patri at this point in my life was filling me with grief. As a Unitarian Universalist, I come naturally to my pluralism. I've been a pluralist my whole life, but it wasn't until I became a UU that that was an acceptable way to be a spiritual person. To me, there is no single path to the way, the truth, and the light. There are multitudes of paths to truth, and each is as valid as the next. What swept me over and over during this retreat as I walked the grounds, encountering statues of saints, and gazed upon this 20-story steel and concrete cross comprising the steeple of the convent, and as I rose with the tolling bells signaling morning prayer, was this curious intermingling of spiritual awe and deep grief at all the domination of Christianity had lost us. I felt as if I were standing on the outside of the sanctuary, even when I sat in the pews, as if I was attempting to penetrate the impenetrable 20-story cross, longing to come inside, but resistance at what entrance would require I sacrifice. We have evidence of civilizations appearing some four to 6,000 years before Jesus Christ. To me, those four to 6,000 years predate the beginning, as is sung in the Gloria Patri, 
And since the beginning, we human beings have attempted to make sense and meaning of the purpose of our lives. We have done this most prominently through worship of various deities to which we ascribed phenomenons like the rising of the sun and the falling rain and famine and plague and birth and death and everything in between. The beginning began long before Christianity dominated the world. What gods and goddesses, my seeking heart can't help but wonder, have we lost to history? We have a bird in the rafters or something? Something's whistling. Okay. Oh, oh, I see. I see. In seminary, I found myself drawn over and over again to mystical Catholicism, specifically stories of the saints and mystics who experienced complete union with the Holy Spirit and or Jesus Christ. Julian of Norwich, in her mystical encounters with the crucified Christ, receiving her now familiar message, he said, Thou shalt not be tempested, thou shalt not be travailed, thou shalt not be distressed. But he said, thou shalt not be overcome, because all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Those words have carried me through some deep spiritual pits. Hildegard of Vignen, when she wasn't writing scathing creeds and sending them directly to the Pope, was in deep spiritual communion with God's self through art, writing, and prayer. Hildegard wrote, You understand so little of what is around you because you do not use what is within you. I spent two of my three years writing and then rewriting a paper on gender-bending female saints, women who, disguising themselves as men, entered monasteries, some to escape forced marriage, some to enter religious life after being rejected from a convent, each experiencing some sort of mystical transformation once their true sex was revealed all entering the canon of Catholic saints venerated for their commitment to living as a religious. The Catechism of the Catholic Church explains, spiritual progress tends towards ever more intimate union with Christ. This union is called mystical because it participates in the mystery of Christ through the sacraments the holy mysteries, and in him, in the mystery of the Holy Trinity. What was missing in my scholarship, due in part to my own ignorance, was the necessity of the Catholic Church to incorporate and validate mystical religious practice and con- mystical and religious practice and experience into their catechism because they were engaged in a multi-hundred-year suppression and conversion of earth-worshipping pagans across the globe. 
So many of the saints I loved, I failed to realize then, were repackaged pagan deities, their true origins wiped out in the flood of Christian dominance. There is a couple, Greg and Dana Newkirk, a professional team of paranormal investigators whom Skylar and I are tremendous fans of. Skylar is such a fan that they actually pay a monthly fee to ascribe to their fan club. I haven't taken it that far, though I admit I might only have not taken it that far because my partner's subscription gives me a sort of roundabout access to all of their work. Greg and Dana began their early careers as ghost hunters. The two have evolved and have become, among other things, phenomenal documentary filmmakers. In the early stages of the pandemic, Skylar and I watched their docu-series, Hellier, about the paranormal occurrences throughout the cave system in Appalachia. Recently, their full-length documentary film, The Unbinding, became available. For a pair of ghost and alien hunters, Dana and Greg have found themselves repeatedly through ethnographic research, ritual practice, and a network of co-scholars in the study of the fourth dimension in repeated connection with ancient deities. In their recent film, The Unbinding, Dana and Greg contend with the deep loss of the forgotten gods and goddesses our ancestors once worshipped. Speaking in the unbinding, Dana Newkirk reflects, Sometimes I think about the goddesses and the gods that have been lost, and I think about how they are still here and still alive. I feel like the gods and goddesses are coming back to remind us of who we were. And that history, it's not history, it's like an organism. It's like a living, breathing thing, finding its way back into the collective consciousness, and it's allowing us to reconnect with who we used to be. I think that's a beautiful thing, and it's a living thing, and will continue to be a living thing. When I found Unitarian Universalism in 2013, which means that it's now been 10 years that I've been a practicing UU, I was reluctant to take up the co-identity of pagan. Paganism always struck me as a modern religion, as if Starhawk showed up in 1970 and invented paganism, legions of second-wave feminists propagating her scholarship as a way to reconnect with body and spirit. When I heard pagans assert that they followed the old ways, I tended to roll my eyes. The old ways, you say? You mean the 1980s? I was hor I'm horrified now by my outright dismissal of this totally valid spiritual practice with a very real, if less accessible, history. Indeed, each time I dismissed pagan practice as a modern invention, I was participating in the effort of dominant Christo-broadwashing 
an effort to flood out and disappear the ancient scraps of earth-centered spirituality our ancestors once practiced. Jean-Marie Rofier-Willoughby, professor of Russian folklore and linguistics at the University of Kentucky says, we have no actual evidence about the East Slavic pantheon. Unlike in Greece and Rome, these were not literate people. There were no ethnographers who were coming in to write down what these people believed or what they did or what their practices were. We know to an extent that there was a belief system, and we know that these gods were worshipped by somebody, but what the organization was and how they were worshipped and really what they mean has been extrapolated. So that brings us to neo-paganism, because what the neo-pagans are arguing is Christianity is not our faith. We have an older faith. And so what they've done is they've seized on these beautiful pictures of these constructed pantheons written by Soviet-era scholars to create a new belief system. When your culture is intentionally wiped out by the systemic effort of empires conquering in the name of Jesus, you might find you need to piece together some scraps. You might make some stuff up. Paganism wasn't invented in the 1970s. It was resurrected from what was long buried and lost to history. The only female goddess in the Slavic pantheon is Mokosh, a magical mother earth. She rules over water and moisture, her wetness, nurturing growth and life itself. She is the goddess of fertility and has power over the fruitfulness of human males. A fable tells of her discovery by the spring god Jarilo, who found her sleeping by a mighty burbling spring. Together, they created the flora of the earth, the bounties we harvest coming from her labors. Mokosh is the protector of spinning, the determiner of fate itself. She is a tender of sheep, patron of merchants and fishermen, and the one who protects cattle from plague and people from drought, disease, drowning, and unclean spirits. There is evidence of cults devoted to her in the centuries preceding the introductory, the introduction of Christianity to Russia and Ukraine. Eastern European neo-pagans today have done their best to recreate the venerations to this goddess of the earth that their ancestors once worshipped, reconnecting with an ancient energy that, according to Dana Newkirk, lingers and languishes among us from thousands of years of collective worship. Mokosh eventually became the Virgin Mary. Well, knowledge of her existence persists on the Eastern European continent, much of her lore has been lost to history. I love Mother Mary. 
and I have for a long, long time. I love the implication of her existence, that God has a mother. I like the concept of an intercessory between myself and God's self, an advocate who loves me as unconditionally as the heavenly creator. But what I've come to realize is how many other female deities were lost as Christianity dominated the world. We will likely never know all of the goddesses that were subsumed into the Virgin Mary's identity. And now that I've discovered Mokosh, a goddess likely worshipped by my own Swedish ancestors, I find myself more drawn to her than the virginal perfect image of Mary. I am pleased and relieved that my religion makes space for both of these deities in my personal spiritual practice. I believe there are whispers of what we once knew deep inside of us. And ancestral work, right, helps us get in touch with those whispers, those things that we have sort of always known but forgotten. On retreat this past week, we studied improvised rituals. We walked together in a spiral and we sang, we are singing an ancient song, we are walking an ancient path. There is healing in this song, there is healing on this path. Our bones and our very souls know what we once knew. If we are strong enough, and I think we are, to resist the narrative of dominant culture, we might uncover what we lost. Ritual practice, ancestral work, and divination are all possible paths to a reconnection with the old gods. As Edwin Muir writes, they might have forgotten, yet you linger still. Let's do the work of remembering. Let's learn what we once knew. Amen and blessed be. This has been the Sunday Messages podcast from Cedar Valley Unitarian Universalists. The music is by Nathan Moore. If you want to learn more about the CVUU, visit our website at www.cedarvalleyuu.org. And you can also find us on Facebook or Instagram at Cedar Valley UU. We welcome visitors from anywhere to virtually attend our services on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Central Time. If you'd like to learn more about joining us for a service, send us an email at cvuupodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.